Welcome to Maddie's Mental Health Podcast, aiming to spread awareness on mental health by sharing the real-life stories of those who've experienced it firsthand. I decided to ask my question one more time before I gave up for good. Mr. Hansen, I say, what is anxiety? What do you mean, Tommy, he asks. There's some chalk on the ledge under the chalkboard, so I grab it and write on the board. Then he says, Tommy, anxiety is when you feel afraid that something bad is going to happen. He holds out his hand and I give him the chalk. He smiles and says, anxiety is the body's alarm system that warns us if something bad might happen. Have you ever felt like there were millions of butterflies in your belly? I sure have, I say, at least once every day. Well, that's what anxiety feels like. And it can be a good thing. It can help us be safe, like when you see a car speeding down the street and you get a little scared and decide to wait and cross the street later. Hello. Hello, Matt. How are you? Jackie McKay. How are you? I'm good, thanks. Good to see you. Good to see you too. Uh, Thanks so much for coming out here to do this. Uh, I really appreciate it. Um, So you are a Registered therapist, though. Yeah, uh, clinical social worker, clinical counselor. Yes. Clinical counselor, uh, an author of the book um, that you just read of. Thank you so much for doing that for a little little intro. You're welcome. <laughs> um, so you wrote the book in 2009, and it's a children's book, right? Yes, 2009. I was working as a counselor with children ages approximately five to age 11, and we were seeing so many children at at the agency I worked at um, experiencing anxiety that I had this idea for a book that was fun, like a story, not all clinical, like more of a story about a child that's dealing with it, but a real story and a real kid that plays soccer and has a full life besides just having anxiety. Right. And just a relatable guy about age nine or ten. And then um, there's a few little tips in the book about how to manage your anxiety, but it's overall a story and it just, my attempt was to normalize anxiety that right. most kids get it, most people get it, and and how to try to manage it. That's awesome. Um, I'm just pulling this up a little bit. Um, thank you. Uh, so, when did you start working with kids and did you notice it like increase over a certain amount of time? Uh, yes, definitely. Uh, started, well, probably 98, 99, started working with children, like adults as well, but children and adults. And definitely by the mid-2000s, I was seeing a shift that there was more anxiety, more pressure, kids weren't as carefree. And in my training back in the 80s, um, part of my training was play therapy, which is trying to work with the child at their level, like sand tray therapy, play therapy, and the, the idea is you build rapport, you get the child comfortable, and you don't ask a lot of questions, but through the play, you, they start to tell you their story, yeah. and you don't hit them with, you know, 20 questions, because kids will shut down. So we at, um, I was working at Catholic Family Services Bureau at the time, and uh, we did, developed a play therapy room. And it was through that we started working with a lot of children and then we were aware that anxiety was peaking somewhere around the mid-2000s. Um, 
and that's when the book came out and continued to work with kids. The play therapy room was very successful. In fact, the Bureau still has uh, counselors there doing that. And I left there, I worked there for 24 years and I left there in 2011 um, to do some other things, but they still, they still work with children there. Uh, that's really interesting stuff. Um, that's really cool about um, how like you just kind of play with kids and then they eventually kind of come out and tell you things. Yes, yeah, we, like we were trying it the other way and we realized this isn't, like parents would take their child in and, or youth in and we try to talk to them the way we did adults right. and it doesn't work. Mm -hmm. There was nothing for the child to play with and kids are very physical and they, the guys and girls, we needed physical material that they could play with, balls, um, sand tray, um, figurines. We just needed to make make it more kid friendly. Yeah. So we just picked up on that naturally that this isn't working. They're not comfortable in these adult offices. So let's right. try, let's try another way. And it, it really did blossom. It it we got some really good feedback, and I think it's still a, a good thing that's happening at the bureau. That's something I definitely noticed from working with kids. As um, I worked at like uh, an after school program, um, it's just like. Them, you asking them a question, um, they don't want to respond at all, but like just playing with them, like you know, you hang out with them for a while, they'll, they'll probably start telling you things. Yes, I'm sure you would, ex you know, experience that if you're playing ball with them or yeah. just hanging out with them, and that's exactly that's exactly what we we found and you can give them strategies later on or like our training but it really you can't do anything if you don't have rapport with the child first yeah. and that's what you're doing I'm sure every day at your yeah. job build a rapport and kids need they need that they need to feel comfortable adults as well they need to feel comfortable with you before they're going to share anything yeah yeah um, I think part of it's probably just like an energy thing too like even simple questions like how was your day? Kids will be like, uh, good, and then like yes. run away. But like, if you're just hanging out with them, like playing catch or something, they'll just like start telling you about their day. Yes, know? yes, exactly. So, so I think that's pretty interesting. Um, what would you say? Um, do you have any theories about why anxiety spikes around the mid two thousands? Yes, uh, my theory on that and is that lives got busier and busier and busier um we might have our generation of parents might have overdone it a little bit on the activities like it's great that children are involved but they need a lot of free play and creative play mm -hmm. and i kind of felt some of that was missing they were in organized activities which is good and organized sports is good and organized activities but it seems like there was a little bit of a void in just free play and just where you can just be creative and relax. So that was one thing we, or I thought was a piece of it. And, um, you know, starting to become more complex family systems, like, uh, not, and sometimes that's great. It's just sometimes a lot of change with blended families and uh, a lot of new adults to get to know. and. Sometimes it works out for the best, but it's still a lot of transition and adults in their in children's lives that they have to adjust to. So there was some of that as well. And high cheating, like there's a big culture of 
uh, high achieving, it seems now. Like they start kindergarten younger and they go to full day kindergarten quite young and there's a lot of pressure to be little uh, successes. Mm -hmm. And some of the kids in their own way would talk about that, that they felt pressure to be a great hockey player or um, to get really high marks. And I mean, we want them to be successful, but some kids were, I felt were feeling a lot of pressure to be the best. So a few things like that were definitely on my, on my mind when I wrote the book and um, and the kids, um, some of them coming from very complex backgrounds and some coming from fairly regular backgrounds and it, but many, many different people experiencing anxiety for different reasons basically. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting that do you think technology had anything to do with it at that time? Uh, yes, we were just, I think, it, it start to see the, the, the beginning of that in, at that time, and I think it's increased even more so now. Um, it was real, it's real easy for kids to go in their room and play video games, and all the kids love it, but, you know, mm -hmm. and yeah. especially uh, boys, I think, girls, some girls too, but, um, and there's nothing wrong with that to a point. It's just sometimes it um, you lose your coping skills and your like it's it's team sports and I'm sure you because you're athletic. It's team sports and playing outside, not even organized sports, but just playing ball or something that people learn their social coping skills. Yeah, yeah, coping strategies and social skills and you learn that okay maybe I'm I'm not picked first but I learned to cope with that. Yeah, yeah. Like yeah. and on the video games like you're. If you're doing too much of that, you're not, you're not experiencing the regular coping skills that you have to out on the playground, you know? Yeah. So, I, I do think that's a part, too, mm -hmm. a factor, for yeah. sure. Mid-2000s, I'm just thinking about, like, because I think video games, like handheld video games, were just starting to come. It's yes. a big thing then. Yes. So that could have been um, part of it. Um, it's, it's interesting, though. Like, I wonder what the shift was for the high achievement, because it's definitely something that um, you see in today's society and that I, I definitely notice. Yeah. Although I don't really have much to compare it to, but it's like, there's definitely the high achieve culture. Oh, totally. Like, this talk about you got to get signed up for this daycare and signed up for this kindergarten. And that started when, when we had our first child, and it's just escalated. Like... And coming from like being born in the in the sixties, I had the other experience where, it, look, you just go to school and you do your best, and it wasn't like you had to be at the best school or mm -hmm. the, like. And I think our generation, well, there wasn't perhaps as much access to things, but we also there just wasn't as much pressure. It was like yes, go to school and school's important, but it wasn't so like. Like it's everything, like for sure, like it's everything. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Um, so, um, you are <laughs> the mother of my friend yes. um, who had passed away a couple of years ago, okay. um, just so people know how we know each other. Right. Um, uh, his name is Ben. He died of cancer a couple years ago. He was uh, your son. Um, 
And um, we've had a lot of good talks um, since then. Um, I was good friends with Ben and um, Carrie Lynn, my girlfriend who died, actually died a couple months after in May and Ben died in November, right? Uh, ben died September. September, yeah. sorry, yeah, September, yeah. yeah. The whole year's a blur. Yes, um, for sure. Um, so we've had a lot of good talks. Um, and I'm glad that you're here. Um, and how are you doing now with, with the grieving? Yeah, that's a really good question. Uh, <laughs> it's a really good question. I, it's, it's going to be four years this September. And, um, I have to say, like I, w I was a trained counselor. I read, was trained in grief counseling and nothing in this world prepared me for losing a child, nothing. And I was devastated and I, there's not even a word really to describe it. I felt, it sounds strange, but I felt like I had an amputation or that the world went dark or mm -hmm. it was very, very intense. So the first, so I'm saying like the first two, this is coming up on the fourth year. The first three years, I had a lot of I had a lot of support. You, you as friends, your your peer group and Ben's friends have been great supports. I had family support. I have a lot of friends in the mental health profession, and so I kind of coped through it. But I was having a really rough time. But it was just natural grief process, but very very hard. And trying to parent Emma, a 16-year-old, at the same time, and having a hard time seeing Charlie and Emma go through all this as well, because as much as I was struggling, they were heartbroken too. So the first three years was very, very hard, but it was on his... I wasn't fully depressed, but on the, the third anniversary, which when you say, how you doing now, you kind of, with grief, it's so strange, but you'd think... I think if you haven't had a depth of loss like we've had, like you with Carrie Lynn and me with Ben, I think there's a notion out there that you're good, not good, but you're kind of getting better after a year or two years. And the first three years were terrible. But I have to say the third, and I wasn't fully depressed, but by anniversary number three, I hit a, I hit a depression and I had to get more serious help because... I think I was tired carrying the grief. I'm not sure why the third anniversary I, I was tired carrying the grief. It didn't seem to be getting any better. It's a make that never leaves. So yeah. it was, I'm, so, and it was, uh, yeah, so September 19th was his, this past fall was his third anniversary. I hit a real low, but I, I can say I, I got um, some, some more help with, um, and to do some alternative therapies like hypnotherapy with Darlene Way on Richmond Street. She's great service there. And uh, did a little bit of Reiki, which talk therapy was my thing. I knew about it and I know how to do it. But for this loss, I felt I needed some of those alternative therapies. And then finally, um, one of the, there's a really good doctor in the mental health profession that provided me. Finally, I had to take a mild antidepressant. So, having done that, taken the meds, my serotonin got depleted from dealing with this whole tragedy. I wasn't somebody that was depressed 
like throughout, I never had to take antidepressants before. I hadn't had a bout of depression before. But with the doctor's help, and I have to say, never having had it before, but my serotonin got depleted just from the tragedy, and it's been a big help. And so is the support. There's been so much support from you guys, his peer group, and family and friends, and other mental health professionals, too. Um, and so it's definitely easing somewhat. It's definitely easing somewhat, but it's... Uh, I've learned that it's an ache that's, that's, there's going to be a hollow part in me forever. And I, I think when you first lose someone, you think it, it, it'll go away, but it, it doesn't fully ever go away. When it's that depth of loss, and in the, when we were having the children in, in the mid-90s, um, I lost both parents within, both of my parents within eight months. But it's not in any way to compare to losing a child. Like I was, you know, I loved my parents, but I had moved on from that after three to six months. But this was just totally, whole different. Stuck with me was that I lost both parents at, what, you were 30 or so? Yeah, I was 30, oh, ben. I was 35, 34, yeah. And it, you said that it didn't even compare to, to this, and that's something that that stuck with me and uh, kind of talked a little bit about depth of loss. Um, I guess there really is like a depth of, of, of loss, you know, whenever you lose someone that um, you couldn't imagine losing. Yes. And yes. how long it takes to um, to go through that grieving process. Yeah, it's... It's, it's something I just didn't know about because I never lost, I mean, Ben died not too long before she did. Um, I yeah. lost like a grandmother. Um, I've been around death before, but this was just something that I just didn't even know I could feel. Yes. Yeah, the depth of it is when it's, as you say, when it's somebody you can't imagine losing or mm -hmm. living without. Like even our parents, we, from a certain age, once we're young adults, we realize well, we're going to lose our parents. Like, mm -hmm. that's always with you. Mm -hmm. and nobody wants it to happen, but you're, like, a tiny bit prepared for it. Yeah. Um, but losing a significant other, for you, I'm sure, and losing Ben, for me, was just... Uh, like, I really literally felt I got anxiety attacks, too, which I never had in my life before, because the anxiety attacks were from this thought I can't be just buying groceries. I can't live in mm. this world. Everybody's acting normal and I can't live in this world mm. without Ben. Like, my son is gone. Like, mm. I can't cope. And then the anxiety would come up. And I, that, again, was something I didn't have to deal with before. But I was just like, so, the world was so dark. And I, like, thankfully, have a good husband and a wonderful daughter. And, you know, of course, that helps keep you going. Mm -hmm. But that doesn't take away the loss of Ben. Like, mm -hmm. I'm so grateful to have Emma and I'm so grateful to have Charlie, but I still couldn't imagine a world without Ben. Mm -hmm. Like, it's, and I still can't, but I have to live it. Mm -hmm. Like, I have to live it, so you do. But it's certainly a, a grueling journey, as you, as you know, yeah. It's kind of like, uh, 
living in a nightmare and you have to fully accept it. <laughs> it's so true. And I'm sure you've heard people say, um, uh, I don't know how you do it. And I don't know how I do it either. Mm -hmm. I don't have, and same with you, you don't have a choice. Mm -hmm. You have to do it, but I can't imagine how, how we do it either. Um, it's kind of like um, when people say that or you're so strong. And, I mean, I, a lot of these feelings came up when it first happened too. It's like I just, um, you can say I'm strong or whatever. And, it's like a nice thing to say, and those things are just nice things to say. Yeah. Um, so it's, it's always from a good place, but it's just the feeling that you get is like, I just don't have a choice. Like, the, they're gone. Like, I don't have a choice but to do what I'm doing, you know what I mean? Like, there's... The finality of death is... is, mm. is very real, you it's know? It's very, very real. And I read a quote, I don't know what book it was from, but it was about a woman who had come through, it's from years ago, but she came through war and lost, I think, a husband and a child, and s s she phrased it like, the only reason I didn't die is, like, because I just kept living, like, mm -hmm. you, you, yeah, you're, because yeah. people were saying to her, you're strong, well, she said, I just didn't, like, I'm still here, so mm -hmm. I don't know how, um, how I did it, but I'm still here, kind of thing. Yeah. Um, yeah, so, and in our case, in, in our case, um, when Ben was told he was, Ben's cancer was very aggressive, like, there's cancers and then there's cancers, and Ben's was one of the most aggressive osteosarcoma in the bone, and then it spread to his lungs, and it happened really fast. We had six, we had one month from diagnosis to his death, and he was in pretty good shape like he wasn't like suffering where you're thinking um they thought it was a ligament issue at first and he was planting trees in new brunswick and he looked great that summer so it was just a voracious cancer that when it hit it took over really fast but i guess what i was going to say there was ben was told he was terminal at 19 years old almost 20 but 19 and he couldn't have made it any easier for us but it still was look i'm sure it'd be harder if ben didn't proceed the way he did but when Ben was told he was terminal somehow he had he focused on us and he said I'm not afraid to die and carry on and remember the good times and I had a happy life and I'm okay and that was such a gift that that he could do that and it helps but it's hurt it I guess it it helps to some degree but it's still really, really challenging to honor what he says. Like he says, just, he said, just don't always think of the sad, think of good memories. And we try to, but it's, it's hard. It's hard to do that. Even when the person is so, he was so graceful about it and he died with such dignity and we got to, we got to say everything we wanted to say and it's still hell. Like it's mm -hmm. still, you know, yeah. but I'm sure, I'm sure it's, harder when you don't get to say those things like yeah well that honestly just makes me smile just you telling that story um it just shows like the the true depth of ben's character and like yeah that's just a tribute to um how good a person he was to to do that in that situation and like 
you know, when you're told you're um, terminal, um, that's when like your true character comes out. I think so. Yes. Yeah. And, and yeah. Like he, I have to say, he handled it with real grace and real dignity. Like he, and he literally did not seem afraid. Like he did not seem to rail against it. Like. I think I would have at 19. Yeah. I don't know. He seemed to have made a lot of peace with it somehow. Yeah. In a short time. Yeah. Yeah, like, I don't think anyone, like, no one knows what they would do in that situation. You know what I mean? Um, no. That's, um, yeah. And in his particular case, the oncologist, there was really no bones made about it. Like, they were very abrupt that your case is very terminal and it's going to be fat. Like there, he, he didn't catch a break like we're going to try this. We did try some things, of course, chemo, but it didn't work. We, we, we told the oncologist we'll sell our place, we'll go to the States, we'll, we'll try immunotherapy and like we'll try whatever. But she said he's too ill to travel. He can't go to the States, like he won't make it cross the bridge is what she told us so as parents we're like we don't even get a shot at trying to help fix this and it was just the type of cancer obviously there's other cancers that are, that give you a few more options but his was it had um, metastasized to his lungs so that's you can't live without your lungs you can't he couldn't it was respiratory at the end he couldn't he couldn't breathe so yeah, like it's um, it's quite a journey, and then it's a, a terrible journey to watch your other child suffer that. They were Ben and Emma were pretty close, and his big he was three years older, as three and a half as a big brother. He was a pretty good big brother. Like they were, I mean, I'm not saying they never had their moments, but they were pretty. Of course, yeah. They were pretty good friends. He was pretty good to her, and she suffered a lot. Charlie, it's hard to watch them suffer this. Um, and uh, one year, I've learned one year is nothing. Like all those anniversaries you get through, and there's perhaps a bit of a myth out there that after that you're kind of on your way. Mm -hmm. uh, it's good to have the first year over, but it's certainly not the end of it. That's that's been my experience. It's not, yeah. Um, one thing you said that really stuck with me, um, too, because um, we were going through it. You know, you were a little bit um, ahead, mm -hmm. a few months ahead. Um, you said that you don't even, you don't really start to 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 deal with it maybe after the first year, or you really don't start to. It doesn't hit you until after the first year. Yeah. Um, and I think that um, it's true. It's true. I'm sure it's different for everyone, you know. But it's like the shock, like kind of starts to go away after a year. Yes. So then that's when. I thought the second year was worse for me. I would agree with that. The second, the first year was so hard that I didn't think the second year could be harder, but it was. Mm -hmm. um, I think it's fair to say my husband found that as well, and I'm not sure about him. I think I think we all found the second year harder, and we couldn't imagine that because the first year was so hard. And then the second year is like harder in some ways because 
life is moving on mm -hmm. and you're not and yeah. they're not with you anymore mm -hmm. and people are supportive people have been great but it's um every everything's moving forward and that's hard too it's hard mm -hmm. to see life going on but that's the way it is mm -hmm. but yeah and the and the shock wears off mm -hmm. it, i think it carries you through a little a little bit in the first year um and then for me, like, I, I was grieving heavily and very devastated. But I, I, I definitely hit a depression by the third year. I think I just was worn out and depleted. Um, so it's, uh, it's quite a grueling, grueling journey for sure. Um, uh, and, and it's special occasions are still and always will be a challenge. Like we just came through Father's Day, and mm. like all those, all those occasions are <clears throat> harder than the ordinary days for our family. Um, I don't know if that's for everyone. His birthday and his his birthday is actually there's been so much support from you, his you guys, his friend group that that helps us a lot, and that that's a hard day, but. It's great to have that support. Helps kind of get us through it. All the beers to it. Yes, yes, yes. More, more drinks than usual for sure on those nights. Yeah, for yeah. sure. And yeah, like it. Uh, yeah, it, it helps for sure. The company and the the drinks don't hurt either. Yeah, mm -hmm. on those big days. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, it's always so good to see you guys too, and like all our all of our friends love coming to visit. Yeah, and I want. I was going to say about that, um, like you mentioned earlier about the digital age and technology. But you know, people say, well, this, like the generation you're in, people do they have as much compassion and social skills? But I have to say, Charlie and I have both said this. The we were blown away by the compassion of your age group, you guys, Ben's friends, and. Um, there was just so much compassion and the friend group just kept coming out to our house about a dozen or 15 of you different times um, and there was so much compassion so it was encouraging to see that technology in the digital age certainly didn't uh, destroy that in, in your friend group and Ben's friend, friend group it was very good to see that in fact it seemed like um, as youth, you had a really, like a really good understanding of the depth of it, and and maybe because you guys loved him too in a way, maybe maybe that's why. Mm -hmm. But there was a lot of compassion, and it was very encouraging to see that that's not gone. <laughs> yeah, um, no, we definitely did love him too, and I think like um, as sad as it is to say, but like when a tragic thing like this happens, it brings everyone closer together so mm -hmm. that could be part of it too yes and I often think of your friend group like I never had the experience of losing one of my friends as a teenager or early young adulthood it must have been quite a well for you it was a double shock because then and then Carrie Lynn but it must have been quite a like at that age, you don't really expect those things to happen. No, not at all. Yeah. I think you're invincible, and yeah. that's the way it's supposed to be in mm -hmm. 19 and 20, that mm -hmm. carefree, you know? But 
Yeah, very carefree. Death is not even something you're really thinking about. Um, yeah, I remember when Ben died, it was just, uh, yeah, like, it's just a shock. It just, I mean, it wasn't that long ago, but it feels like a really long time ago. Um, yes, yeah. Um, to me, anyway, you're just like a kid, and I remember just thinking, like, I can't wait till it gets back. We're all gonna hang out, and then, you know, that's it. It's just, mm -hmm. it's, um, it's crazy. Do you mind me asking, are you doing any better? Is that? Um, I would say that I am, I'm doing better. This last year has been, um, better. Mm -hmm. This is a period of growth for me. Right. Um, I still deal with it every day. Like, um, you know, it's, you know, it's, it's on and off. Um, but I would say that I'm, I'm doing better now and I'm finally starting to feel like I have some peace of mind or, or clarity. Um, I, I'd say peace of mind because you know your mind is just racing the whole time when you're, when you're grieving, you know, and it's just like all these thoughts of yes. like constant and you never can get away from it. I'm finally starting to feel like, even in the last month or two, that I'm finally starting to get some, uh, some peace of mind and um, just feel like, okay, like baseline. Again, you know? Yes, great. Yeah. You can get more hours without the thoughts, like mm -hmm. without yeah. the hard, difficult thoughts. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, it's still just, it still happens. Like, like this week for whatever week, um, for whatever reason, I mean, I just had a hard week this week. So, mm -hmm. um, and who knows why, but, um, some crazy dreams. I'm sure you've had some crazy dreams too, but sometimes they just come up and then it's like, you, you know, you, you feel like you made some, a lot of progress and then you might have some, some bad days and then that's what it was like the whole time. I mean, like, it was just constantly, um, you know, you're at the lowest low and then you think you made a step up and then you go three steps back and then yes. one step forward, three steps back and then two steps forward and then five steps back. and. Um, but uh, yeah, I can honestly say that I'm, I'm certain, I'm certain to get some peace of mind, <laughs> if that means anything. Yeah, that makes sense to me. That definitely makes sense that I hit hard, hard there last September at his third anniversary. But and I like you. I definitely have some bad days for sure, and sometimes. It doesn't make sense what you can't figure out why mm -hmm. but um i am i get what you're saying i'm getting a little bit more space between the the tough thoughts or the mm -hmm. sadness and a little bit more ability to remember the, the good things yeah but um and i think i'm accepting that i'm going to carry this like, mm -hmm. and and i've read some things that say the depth like it like, I'll always love Ben, so I'm going to carry it forever. Mm -hmm. Like, I'm always going to miss my son, and and I'm going to miss when I see someone graduating or getting married, or mm -hmm. though yeah. somebody having a baby, like some of you guys. Like, there's all, always going to be those things that I'm like, 
Like I'm happy for all the friends that are going through those next stages of life, of course. But I'll always, and I'm just starting to accept that, of course I'm going to grieve it forever because he's my son and he's still alive to me. Like he's mm -hmm. in my mind. Like mm -hmm. he's still. Yeah. So, but I'm getting more acceptance and more space between the the really dark thoughts and um, trying or a little bit more ability to honor what Ben said. Like he was a very carefree. Um, like I mean, maybe you like, he wasn't a saint, that's for sure. But mm -hmm. maybe you have different um, see different sides. He could have been. Yeah, he could have been. <laughs> <laughs> but he was so carefree and joy of life. He had a joy of life, Ben. Yeah, he did. He really did. And I try to, I try to remember that. That he said that he had a good life, like, mm -hmm. and it was short. But I try to remember that, that spirit that's been like he, he'd be just saying, "Come on, you guys, move on." Like mm -hmm. he'd be. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, yeah. He had a sense of humor. He was joyful. I think he was pretty joyful, like he was, yeah, and kind of carefree, like mm -hmm. not a worrier at all. No. And uh, anyway, so I try to honor who he was and think about that. <laughs> I could always hear it in his voice. So. Just go have fun, man. That's exactly. Yes. <laughs> That's exactly. <laughs> Live your life, man. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He had this philosophy yeah. that just get on with things mm. and. Fun was a big part, a big part of that for him, and a joy, like joy of some spirit. He had some spirit. In. Was he a deep thinker when he was younger? <laughs> um, I didn't. I didn't know the extent of that because he, because he always kind of hit it with um, that sense of humor and that easygoing kind of manner. But when I think back. He was um, a deep thinker because he could relate to like an elderly relative, or he could relate to Emma when she's a tiny baby, and he could be very kind. And so I think he was a deep thinker, hmm. but he he just had that easygoing way that didn't that kind of disguised it, hmm. but. In the wake lineup, I heard more and I learned more about him, ironically, when he passed. Because in the wake lineup, there was all you good friends, of course, but then there was like probably a hundred or fifty or hundred kids that came through from the rural that weren't good friends of his. But a number of them said to me, I didn't know him well, but he was the kindest guy. Um, I didn't know him well, but he gave me a seat on the bus, a girl said. Um, and I didn't know him well, but he, he did this for me. And that was not that, like, he didn't talk about that, or mm -hmm. he didn't, that wasn't the first thing you saw. The first thing you saw was that smile and that fun-loving, let's have fun, let's go out. But there was, but he didn't advertise it. Like, I heard many stories about that in the wake lineup from just acquaintances, and it was, then I realized, yeah, that was his essence. He did have a, a deep, a deeper side. Mm -hmm. So that was, that was, and as a little child he did, but he always kind of had that humor that you, it wasn't the first thing you saw, it was mm -hmm. this deep thinking, you know? Mm -hmm. So, um, 
Ironically, too, um, his best, a couple of his friends, good friends, um, had said, and his girlfriend at the time, and and Emma, his sister, had said that Ben often said to them that he was going to die young. And I said, really? Like, do you just mean you might be having a couple of beers? And he'd say, and they said, no, no, he talked about it. And he never talked about it to his mother, that's for sure, but they... There was some, he had said that a number of times, so it just kind of makes you wonder if people know things or, you know, if, it, it just. It does make you wonder for sure. It, it, it makes you wonder. And he certainly wasn't as shocked as I thought he'd be when he was told what was mm -hmm. happening. So I don't know. Who knows? Maybe he was a little more prepared than I thought. I don't yeah. know intuition or spiritual, whatever you want to call yes. it. Yes, yeah, I've been reading more about the spiritual life and yeah, so you do wonder about all of that, what, what the journey is for different people. Um, did Ben's death change your view of life? Yes, for sure, for sure. Um, I'm, I'm much less worried about outcomes like um, in the sense of like I you could get tight worried about this or that or like job or school for Emma or little things do not worry me anymore mm -hmm. like I don't worry as much because I'm like nothing is really that important there's these mm -hmm. are the there's big things that happen in people's lives that's important death and um, there's some tragedies that, but so many things are not worth worrying about. Mm -hmm. I did learn that, and I'm I'm a little bit more um, mindful to because I was in such pain the first years. I was in such depth of pain that I've learned to enjoy moments, which I've been forced to be mindful because. Like for the first years, like you mentioned, you're like racing thoughts and the pain and the thoughts are so intense that you can't really get a break from it. So even on those early years, if you could enjoy a cup of coffee for five minutes and not have a thought, then you're like, oh, I really am glad I can just have five minutes and not be thinking about the mm -hmm. loss. Mm -hmm. So, and now I get more space in between, but I do find I'm more mindful about, I can't be happy about everything because... I've lost a son, but I have learned to enjoy seeing um, seeing some of the smaller pleasures in life, like the dog playing, or um, trying to enjoy a good meal, or trying to enjoy nature, or trying to embrace when, when something good happens to Emma or Charlie. Like, I'm more able to enjoy the moments, but um, so it's changed that way. But, yeah, I'd say that's the biggest change. And um, working on this one, but you take a knock, your optimism takes quite a knock. Like, I have to really struggle to believe everything. Like, optimism is not my strong suit now because the worst thing, one of the worst things that I could imagine happening happened, mm -hmm. happened to me. So I, I struggle with that optimism. Like, 
Emma got in a minor car accident. My daughter got in a minor car accident um, right around his third anniversary, and I, I was just my reaction to that was way bigger than it needed to be because I was like, just fear, fear that something else that bad. Mm -hmm. If somebody could yeah. get that sick and die in a month, yeah. So I do struggle with the optimism. I've gained a little bit of more mindfulness and less worry, but I, it's hard to believe everything will work out, but I'm working on that one, you know, working on that one. Yeah, I, well, I think you just realized that, um, like how temporary and how fragile life is. Yes. And how easily it can be gone as fast as it was there. Yes. Um, yeah. So the same exact everything you just described for me, um, starting with um, what's really important and um, just like nothing really bothers me anymore. It's yeah. Like, um, no one's dead. Like that's the first thing that comes to my mind. If like something doesn't work out, or like you know we get ourselves so stressed out over um, and worrying about things like am I gonna get this job and you know, school, um, whatever it is, like, you know, no one's dead. I, I'm still okay, yes. healthy. People I care about are healthy. That's really what's important. And everything else is, you know, it, it kind of is freeing in a way because you just, like, you realize, like, what is actually important and you're not stressing about shit that isn't. So true. So true. It's, it's like, that's a good way to put it because it's often my first thought, too, is this this could be so much worse. Nobody's in the hospital. Nobody's dying here. This is nothing. This is nothing worth worrying about. Yeah. And I guess I'm a little bit more empathetic. I was pretty good that way because that's my profession. I was a counselor, but I'm definitely more empathetic um, to to tragedies like other people's losses, um, even some of the major tragedies you see, like with other countries and children. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You know, yeah. Uh, children suffering and so on. Um, but for sure, you 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 don't have much time for the trivial parts of life anymore. No. So the worrying has dissipated somewhat, for sure. Except when it comes to the people I love, and then it yeah. might have increased it. Yeah, yeah, because you realize um, what could be the yes. pain that could be. Yes. Um, and I think that goes with, like like you said, like you're more empathetic towards seeing other people's loss. I feel that too. And I think that's because you know what they're going to go through. And I, I see that when someone dies, it's like, I just empathize so much for them and I just know what they're going to go through. Yes. So, oh, definitely. Just one sec. You're, um... Oh, yeah. Uh, empathizing with people's Yes. Yeah. Yes. Um, is it, are we still going good? Yeah. Um, yeah, I found that, um, yeah, it's just, like, you know what they have to go through now, and it's, you just feel it, whereas before, like, um, I never experienced it before, you always empathize, you're like, oh, that's, that's terrible, you know, even when you just see, like, someone loses anyone, someone losing anyone, you know, um, but, yeah, you just, you, a deeper understanding, but I guess, like what they have to go through now. Yes, for sure. And uh, one of the books I read said uh, there was a quote in there that you 
you get grief to the depth that you've experienced it. Yeah. yeah. So. The and I often think about that, like, with you, um, um, you guys, um, Emma, Carolyn's parents, um, like, and Carolyn's family as well. Like, I, I lost Carolyn. She was a girlfriend, and it was terrible. And it's, I still deal with it, but I'm doing a lot better. But I also don't know what it's like to lose a sibling. And I've never had a kid, let alone lost one. So I think, like, you know, it's all different in, like, the depth of, of, uh, of grief is, um, yeah, I don't know, it's a, it's hard to compare pain, it's hard to to know what people go through, and I empathize for you guys because, um, like, I just I couldn't imagine it. Yeah, it's, it's a, it's a real, uh, it's really, really hurt, it's really difficult. I can't speak for Emma, but I have a feeling, um, she, the heartache of losing her brother was bad, and was really hard, she, she found of course, she, she loved Ben. And then she, in some ways, lost the parents she knew. Because mm -hmm. we went, I mean, our core is still the same, but we, we, we were in such grief that I'm sure it was scary to see that sometimes, how yeah. sad we were. Yeah. So, and I mean, we did as best we could in terms of making sure like things were looked after for her and so on. But it's, I'm sure, and sibling loss, um, there's a lot of information that says it's kind of the the silent loss, like it's not like when parent parental loss is. There's lots of books on it, lots of information on it. Um, sibling loss, not so much, but they they suffer greatly, and uh, I think uh, I shouldn't speak for her, but I think she's finding it. Uh, she's getting more space, more peace as well, like you. But it's. It's uh, quite a tragedy to go through at 16 years old, like mm -hmm. when you're no, really when you're supposed to be out having fun, and yeah, uh, she's done well, but it it was a, a very difficult thing for the whole family, yeah. And uh, Charlie losing his only son—that's well, any either child would be terrible, but he just he does. A, there's just so many losses within within this, you know. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, so is this, are you working again as a counselor? Yes, and that's another part of the story. I was uh, full-time the last few years before Ben died. Um, I had been part-time when they were little kids, and then when they got into junior high, I started working full-time again, and I was full-time at the mental health center here in town and um, my job was a very intense job it was intake screening for suicidal potentially suicidal youth so i had to screen um, and try to indicate who needs to get in quickest and as best you can to try to facilitate services so when ben died i i didn't go back to work I was off work on disability because of the loss, and then I decided I couldn't go back to that intense of a job. It was with what I was feeling and dealing with, I couldn't do it. Um, so anyway, then I took more, uh, some more time off, but now I'm doing part-time 
private counseling and um, I can sort of set my own hours and that helps a great deal because some days are harder than others for me. Right. Um, and that's been a really good thing for me and ironically um, start to just be a natural progression I'm getting more referrals for grief, um, people who've lost a loved one and a few more trickling in from other bereaved parents and that's surprisingly I can do that um, without without losing focus and getting all triggered on my for some reason I'm able to do it I, I am like I can be at home and open a drawer and see a sweater of Ben's and I can be a mess there but somehow in the session with another parent that's lost a son or a daughter I'm okay I don't I don't I don't get too engulfed with my own grief so it's been a natural progression to start seeing those clients but that's only in the last I'm coming up on four years and I'm only starting to see other parents in the last maybe six months the first three years I, I wouldn't have been able to but that's been a good thing I think um was it given your knowledge on the subject was it was it kind of odd to go through it yourself maybe having helped people go through it before like as far as grief and like what's that like now counseling people like after being through through it yourself yes it was um it was kind of strange having the job i had because for two reasons um because it's a job counseling people, I was kind of out of a job because I, um, full time, I couldn't go back. I, I couldn't counsel people when I was that low in grief. And number two, like I, I knew, I knew so many counselors that were kind of friends that it was hard to find someone that I didn't know personally to go f to talk to. But then I do I think. <laughs> Yeah, I do. Yeah. I do think I. Um, I worked with people who had lost children before, who had been through grief similar to yours, and uh, I think I did my best, but I underestimated it. I, I did my best, but I can clearly see now that I underestimated the the depth of it, and how it's changed how I work now is, I would take a lot more time with those clients. I would recognize that it's going to be a long process. I would ask to see their picture. I would ask about that person more. Like, I just totally have a whole deeper level of, and I get how much pain they're in. Like, I, I really understand how much pain, like they can be got buying groceries or going to a job, but I understand that they're, they're, suffering every minute like every hour of that day they're struggling to just do the normal things mm -hmm. and the fatigue and like i'm sure you experienced it we all experience it with grief but you, like you say fatigue and loss of energy but it is so fatiguing and your energy is so low like there was i just understand that so much better there was times emma was in grade 11 there was times i'm like I, I, have, I get up, I make her breakfast, I might drive her to school, make her breakfast, and go back to bed. 
but make sure I'm up when she gets home. But I was so fatigued and I and lack of energy. I just made sure I was there for her, but then once she was at school, I had to go back and rest because I was just. So I understand that deep that depth of it for people that it's. You, there's these grief checklists like fatigue and trouble sleeping, insomnia and low energy and forgetfulness. And when you do a checklist, it's almost like. I don't know, minimizes it or something. I just, I just know how deep those, those things check off go. Like it's a struggle every day in the beginning, in the early years. Yeah. Yeah, it was. Yeah, it's kind of like the difference between reading and understanding versus yeah. going through it yourself. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. And I do think we need more advocate. This is why I think, it, like, I'm really proud of you doing this, and I'm. Think it's great you're doing this because I think we need more talk about this. The grief in our culture, I think, is minimized a little bit or not discussed maybe mm. that much. And I think there needs to be more avenues for helping people deal with grief. Um, I'm not sure we're doing enough, really. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I don't even know. This hit me like over the head like three years ago. And yes. I. I've just been in it the whole, you know, I feel like I'm finally starting to see the light and be the person I want to be like myself and come out of it a little bit, but I think I just had no idea before, so, you know, maybe you're right. I think, uh, yeah, that, like, it's not something young people talk about or, unless they lost somebody, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, sometimes I just wonder if, if um, we, we need to find more avenues of support or for those going through it but uh, it seems like there just should be more support for mental health in general yes yeah I, I think we're I mean there's a lot of good mental health professionals here uh, but we need more we mm -hmm. need more um, we need I'm having this thought lately of like, um, you know, some kind of center, like, and I thought about this a lot when I was going through this, like, and I think I've heard of like grief centers, I don't know if I made that up. But, yes, yes. Um, but it, there should just be mental health centers um, where people can go that are struggling. And it's like, say it was in some kind of facility and like there was like, you could even have like, almost like classes. I, I don't know who you would get to run them, but like. You know an AA meeting where everyone just shares their yes, things? Yes, yes, yes. You know, you could have just that. It's like, share what you're going through. And like, even that would, I know it helps someone so much, you know. It's interesting you say that because I've had that same thought since I've lost Ben, uh, that there should be an AA for grief. Yeah. <laughs> Not AA, but a grief. Um, Similar format, right? Format, yes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I've totally... Because it's only other people who are experiencing grief that you can, that camaraderie and that support is important. It is, it really is. Um, and I think too, like, probably depression, same thing, probably anxiety, like if you just had like, you know what I mean, I'm sure it could be beneficial for any mental health problem, like, just a group of people that are going through the same thing and share the stories, because I think people can get so locked in 
to their own head of, um, and I mean you have a much more in-depth understanding of this, but with like depression, um, specifically like just locked into their depression and what they're going through and um, they, they don't see a way out or they think it's just them or, you know what I mean, they just get so wrapped up. So just sharing it is so important. Um, yeah, I think it could be cool to have a place where you could do that. Yeah, there's, I think, more need. There is some, there's one group for sure for parents in Charlottetown. Um, uh, and that's great, but I do think we need more, more resources somehow. And not, like, there's just so many layers of grief. Like that, that particular one that I'm thinking of was for parents, but then there's, then there's your situation where it's a significant other and, um, hmm. Uh, there's a couple of, of groups running now, but I do think there's so much grief that we, we could use more for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Did you go to the parent one? I did. I did. Um, and it was certainly helpful to hear from other parents um, what they were experiencing. Um, but I didn't stay very long. Um, so. Partly, yeah, partly I just did not have the energy uh, at that time to come. Like, it was good, and it was good to be acknowledged that other parents were dealing with this, but I found my energy was so low that getting out on a Sunday afternoon and going to the group, personally for me, was just a little too hard at that time. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Now, other people would get energized from that, but I found it. Um, I just needed to be home and yeah. in my safe place at that mm -hmm. point. Yeah. 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 It's all about what you can do with the time too, right? Yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah, those, that first couple of years is pretty rough. And in your case, there wouldn't be a grief group that would suit your particular no. Um, need at that time. I'm sure, I don't think there's don't, anything that I, specific. I honestly don't know. Yeah. Um, but, um, yeah. Yeah, and you, you'll look for it too, even when it happens. I remember like searching up on the internet, like, um, people who've lost their um, girlfriend to suicide or something other, and just reading stories, just because I was so, like, yes. felt really alone. Um, yes. In the situation, and like that, just reading, um, reading them, just like you know, telling the story of what happened, just made me feel a little bit better, at least, just knowing that. So, yeah, I think, yeah. Yes, websites helped me a little bit too. There was one, uh, Open to Hope. It was about loss, not just child loss, but other kind, other kinds of loss as well. Um, and a bed, uh, open to hope was for general any any kind of loss. Uh, a bed for my heart was for child loss, and those, just like you, I was searching for, like other people that lived through it and how did they live through it. Mm -hmm. It's good to hear those stories that they like okay they're four years in or they're five years in and they yeah. somehow made it through because in those early days you're thinking how am I gonna ever. You're just looking for like a path, like is, yeah. is there a path out of this? <laughs> yes, is there a path and how do I keep going, you know? Yeah. Um. 
Um, yeah. Is there anything that you did along the way, kind of, to help you? I know there's probably a hundred different things, but um, is there any really significant things maybe that um, you used to help you along the way with grieving and mental health? Yes, um, for me, uh, I needed to rest a lot, and I'm not saying that's for everybody because there's always the risk that you're in resting too much, but I, I don't mean that. I wasn't in bed for days or anything like that, but I did find I needed to rest, like lie down sometimes. I was just maybe for 20 minutes here and there. But um, the other things that helped me the most were um, hypnotherapy, which is not where you're fully hypnotized necessarily it's more of a guided visualization to help calm down the brain because you're so on high alert and stressed. Um, hypnotherapy is, there's a person trained in it here during way uh, at Atlantic Hypnosis Center um, and that helped me. It helped take some of the edge off, some of the, reduce the pain. So what was, what was the session? Yeah. I've recommended Darlene to and hypnotherapy to a number of people since then because now I've gone through it and I trust it. So it, it was a good, um, so you go in, you talk, it's a little bit of talk therapy in the sense she gets to know, asks a little bit about what brings you there. Uh, but then she moves into an exercise depending on your situation. For some people, they're coming for anxiety. I was coming, of course, for grief. And she takes you through a guided exercise that that's specific to you. And in my case, it was a visualization trying to take me through a visualization of seeing Ben at his best and the way he wa is and was and not seeing Ben. Like I was having trouble moving past, and I still do some days, seeing him watching him die in, the, in his hospital bed. I could not get that image out of my head and that was robbing me of the beautiful young guy, the handsome young guy that was that was dead. So I couldn't get that image out of my head and she helped me by taking me through some guided images, visualizations about seeing Ben and she talked me through it and talked me through some of what did he look like when he graduated? What did he look like? So that was very helpful. And, and that was specific to me, but she does have guided exercises for, for different people, different situations. Um, so that was very helpful. She's here on the island, so it's a great resource. Um, and uh, another Reiki, which I, again, I would recommend to people, but before this I didn't know anything much about it. And my daughter's studying that as well, so I'm learning more through her, but also um, learned through my daughter, because she's studying it, and through this person I went to see at Health Within, um, Denise Arsenault, she's a Reiki master, and that's a session where you go in and there's energy blocks. They're they can sense energy blocks in your body, and when you've been through a trauma, losing somebody, it's a trauma to your mind and your body, and um, there's a story about that. I don't know how much time, <laughs> but there is a story about that that's quite significant about the energy block. I don't know if this is the time to...
Uh, you can get into it if you want to. It doesn't. Um, yeah. Doesn't matter. We got time. Okay. So just to highlight how powerful Reiki did help me again. Nothing. Everything just helps you reduce the pain. It, I'm not. I'm not saying you're pain free, but it helps reduce the pain of the loss. But uh, with the Reiki, um, I had the experience of of not being in a teary mode that day. Like having gone through grief, I'm sure you know there's days where you're very, very emotional, and other days you're a little bit better. So that particular day, this I wasn't in that teary. I didn't feel like. I needed to cry, and I was in there for Reiki, and I wasn't in that emotional place. So she does the Reiki, and <clears throat> so she basically touches lightly on your shoulder or your chest or your. In my case, Ben had cancer. His original site was his left knee, and I wasn't even thinking about that at that particular time. I was thinking right. about Ben, but not where he got the cancer. Yeah. She touches my left knee and. It wasn't like crying, it was like a, like gushes of water just came out of my eyes. Like I didn't even have any sense that, it wasn't even like crying, it was just like water flowed out of my eyes like a lot. And then she just kept going and I'm like, I didn't have any control over it. Like it was something about the energy system in the body. I had no control, it was involuntary, like it just happened. She kept going, and at the end of the session, she, I said, what the heck was that? And she said, you are a mother, and you were carrying, trying to carry his pain for these three years now. You're trying to carry that pain in your knee. And that was blocked energy. And it was just powerful. Like I, I got, and it, I, did, I did feel a little lighter after. I didn't. I wasn't thinking about going through my days thinking about like his left knee or my left knee, but there was something about that body, my body was holding that. Like, so it was some kind of release? It definitely was a release and that's what, and like my daughter knows more about that, but um, that's what they call it, an energy release that the body was carrying, holding, holding on to. So Reiki was helpful and this is going to um, sound like not everybody is... I, and I never thought about it before either, but I went to a medium a few times. Renita Baird is a medium on the island, and uh, that was helpful too because I got some messages that were were sent to me that really nobody else but Ben would know. So right. I found that helpful. I can't. I had to try it because I just felt I have to go. Talk. If there's a chance that this works, yeah. I need to talk to somebody mm -hmm. who could connect me with mm -hmm. them. So those were the th those were three very helpful things for sure. I think at that point it's like I don't even care if it's if it's not real. Like if there's, I just gotta try. Just gotta try it. Yes, exactly. Yeah. If there's a chance, like I'm going. <laughs> mm -hmm. If yeah. there's a chance to connect with that person, I'm I'm there. Yeah, I think you're like way past the ego at that point, or like, no, nah, that's not real, it's like, if it, there's a chance I'm going to go, yeah, if it can help even a little bit, I'm going to do it. That's a good point. That's another way your life changes, because the ego take, you're not, you're not so, yeah, when you're in that much pain, ego is not a thing anymore, is it? It's like, such a high, um, you're so vulnerable. Yeah. You're so, so vulnerable, and you just realize how vulnerable you are, and how vulnerable life is and everybody that you love and how much you need the people that you love like yeah. 
the feeling that gets you through it. Yeah. Um, exactly. Yeah. It's so true. You just feel so. I described it to somebody asked me about it, and I said, I just, when you say vulnerable, I said, I just feel like somebody skin took the skin skinned me alive. Like mm -hmm. I felt so raw. Did you feel that your confidence went down? Yes. Went away. Yes, I couldn't. I never had social anxiety before, like I was quite fine to work socially and I lost that for a while. I, mm -hmm. I, like I did some, but I lost, I, I could, like retirement parties or simple things that I would never think about before. I just didn't have the energy or the confidence to do it. Yeah, definitely my confidence took a hit. Mm -hmm. Because yeah. I'm thinking, I don't know if I can get through the next hour, so I don't know if I can go to work today. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so your yeah. confidence is like, well... Yeah, yeah. Yeah, mine was 100% shot. I just, um, yeah, I don't even know how to explain it. Just everything was gone. I was nervous around people. I just wasn't confident in myself. wasn't... And it's just... I guess that happens, but it's just like, it was like the last thing that you think would happen, you know? I don't know. It was crazy. Well, you're, it changes your whole, the person you knew of yourself before. Mm -hmm. Like, you're not this... Become a new person. Yeah, you're in transition, so I think that confidence is like, it's such a huge event in your life, it's almost like becoming yourself again. Mm -hmm. So... Yeah. You're like a toddler or something. You just feel like this is so huge. I don't even know who I am anymore. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, hundred percent. And yeah, that's. I feel like I'm finally starting to to feel like I'm starting. I'm starting to be myself again, or, or the new version of myself. Is having this form of expression like this? This. Yes. Podcast helping. Yeah. It is for me, yeah. Yeah. I find any bit of creative expression has been really helpful for me. Right. Yes. Yeah, I think you mentioned that before that you played guitar or you Yeah, guitar. I play a lot of piano. Yeah. Piano's big and drums too and stuff. Um but just anything, like I just play to play and it just makes me feel better. It's like therapy. Great. I'm glad I am glad to hear you're getting some some more peace. Yeah. So what do you do currently as far as um, any therapies? I'm not at the moment doing... I did the hypnotherapy second year, that rough second year. Um, and I did the Reiki at the end of the second year. Um, so I'm not doing any therapy other than um, I'm doing a lot of, spending a lot of time in nature, walking the dog, spending a lot of time in nature. I could go, I, I feel I could go back to St. Arlene for hypnotherapy if I needed a consult and, and that's kind of there so that gives me peace of mind that it's there. Um, I did have to take drug therapy this year uh, for now, a mild antidepressant. Um, uh, but I kind of feel I've done the done quite a bit with the Reiki. I did talk to a, 
a psychologist from Toronto at one point on Skype. Um, I kind of feel I've done a lot of that piece and now I'm just trying to take time for me and, and walk the dog or be in nature. That's a big one for me. We're, I kayak, Charlie and I kayak and that's peaceful and um, I do find I do need uh, I don't I do need more rest and I do find my stress tolerance is lower so working part time is good because I, I can manage it but I really don't think I could work full time right now. Mm -hmm. and I, I think it's just everything I've been through. Um, I find I have to try to eat well. I do yoga um, and I do need a little more rest than usual and I just started uh, stepping out of my comfort zone and taking golf lessons with a few neighbor women and that's really out of my comfort zone but it's really fun it's yeah, good that's and awesome I have to say I have improved because last year I wouldn't have had the energy I couldn't have done it yeah so that's a huge step for me because last year number one I wouldn't have had the energy to get out there and get up to the lessons and yeah. retain concentrate or retain anything they're telling me yeah so this year i'm doing that and it's been great it's that's awesome like i never golf was not ever on my radar but yeah it's good yeah <laughs> um i think like when you like um start doing something new and like learning i think that like helps yeah. you for whatever reason i remember I think it's just healthy for the brain probably it must be I think you're right, and I remember um, you and Connor talking about that. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. maybe that's what got in my head. I don't know because the call came not too long after that. But I do remember um, you and Connor saying that helped, like mm. just challenging another party. Like I've never. Certainly, that's a new challenge for me because I've never played much. I said uh, they were. I was joking, but not really. They thought I was joking when they asked, when, like, if you played much golf. And I said the last time I played golf was 1995, and everybody laughed. But I was like, <laughs> serious? Like <laughs> that was when Ben was born. So I think that might have been the last time I played golf. Um, so anyway, it's been good, but I'm happy to see that I can do it this year. Yeah. Like I had no desire. Awesome. Maybe you were the same with the grief at first. I had really no desire to do much. Yeah. Do anything yeah. much. Yeah. Yeah. No, hundred percent. You're just barely like living. So yeah, yeah. that's it's a big day. You know, yeah. You know, think about anything extra, learning something new. Yeah. I think maybe too. Maybe I'm just thinking about this deeply, but like learning something new is like um, and going outside of your comfort zone. Uh, like as far as grief, it's kind of like showing yourself that like life is going on or like propelling yourself yes um forward in life whereas like if you're just doing the same things it's kind of just feels like life is missing that part is missing yeah life is still the same but that part is missing whereas when you do something new it's like okay now i'm living again you know or like yeah good point yes I just thought of that yeah but um now that it yeah that makes sense um I, uh, I've been doing a couple, like, uh, I'm doing, like, the open mic at stand-up comedy. Are you? Nights. Yeah. Um, and, uh, I've been doing that for the last, like, month and a half. Like, that's, it's something I just, that's like, new. just, yeah. like, getting in my comfort zone. I, I love it. It's, uh. Did it surprise you that, yeah. that you liked it? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I just, uh, yeah, it's cool. I think getting out of your comfort zone just 
pushing the boundaries is definitely healthy for it in general. But yeah, it's been cool. Great. Yeah. A new challenge for sure. Yeah. Um, so do you find like the SSRIs help? Yes. And I, I, yeah, I, I find they help. And I was getting pretty well. I was getting, um, just tired trying to cope with it. Like I couldn't, mm -hmm. I was doing, in our business in counseling, they say, if you're doing all the, like I, I was surrounded by friends and family. I wasn't left alone to deal with this. I had help. Yeah. Um, I did the counseling. I did the Reiki. I did try to exercise, walk the dog every day, tried this. You know. So I was trying so hard to deal with this, but I was still so sad and isolate. Not isolating totally, but you know. More often than not, if social thing came up, I was like, no, probably, like every so often I'd go, but lots of times I'd say no. Mm -hmm. And yeah. I was trying to eat healthy and not, you know, not do the things, the self-destructive things, like, I mean, not drink too, like, of course, not certain times you have a couple drinks on this anniversary and that. Right. Try not to, to, to go down that path. Yeah. So I was trying to do the right things, but they weren't working enough so then I had to try the SSRI and I I kind of asked the doctor I said have I always been low in serotonin and and anyway everybody's situation is different but I his take on it was that no not necessarily because I never needed antidepressants before but that this whole tragedy just depleted any kind of it triggered it triggered the depression it triggered a reduction in serotonin and the SSRIs are definitely helping and look I'm not I know people are sometimes very hesitant to take them but um, I can't it's been a big help for me yeah. it's been a big help for me and um, yeah it's been good if it helps it helps like Whatever it, helps. It's whatever helps. And I was also, when you mentioned ego before, it was like I was to the point of like, okay, I'm now, it's three and a half years, and I'm like, I, I think I was really finding it hard the first three years, but I was just wearing out trying to continue to cope and not mm -hmm. seeing a whole lot of light. So they, you don't have ego. I wasn't thinking, oh my God, I can't do that. I don't need that. I was thinking, whatever helps. I'm in a lot of pain and I need help. Mm -hmm. yeah. And um, the doctor I've seen in the mental health field has been great. And um, yeah, I think for some people that's great. Like, and, and other people, it, it, everyone's different. Like that, I needed that, but mm -hmm. not everybody that goes through it needs it. Like for sure, um, but I did at the. And it sort of surprised me that it was three and a half years in that it, that it happened. Mm -hmm. But I was not just dealing with, I think what happened, well, it was definitely the grief, but then I was just worrying a lot about my remaining child, too. And like other life things just seemed bigger, too. And I just couldn't, like everything was taking a lot of energy, so. I don't, I don't know why three and a half, I, 
didn't take them in the early months, so maybe I maybe I should have, but I yeah yeah. But it's good. It, it has helped me for sure. Yeah, that's good. I'm glad to hear it. Um, I'm sure there was kind of like a exhaustion feeling of just dealing with for so long. Yeah. And um, there's an old saying in counseling, like, when when we try to get people to look at things, you know, cognitive behavior therapy or change your thinking and you'll change how you're feeling. And certainly there's validity in that. But there's something called the three Ps. Is it permanent, pervasive, and personal? And if it's not all of those things, it's easier to maneuver your way through it. Like if you can say, well, it's not pervasive, it doesn't affect everything, or it's not permanent. But mm -hmm. it, for this, losing Ben for me was permanent and pervasive and personal. Mm -hmm. And I just couldn't, like it's so permanent that I was like, I can't make my mind think that this is okay. <laughs> like mm -hmm. this is never going to be mm -hmm. okay. But it has given me the energy, and and so did like, of course, having like a daughter and a husband that 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 kept me going too. But I just needed extra, a little extra help there to get to get over that loss of Ben. I'll never. And I get the, no, not over it, but to get to deal with it better. Get over the hump of that time period. Yes, because mm -hmm. and now I'm accepting that you know that's gonna be with me. It's not gonna be as intense, but I'm sure that I will grieve Ben till I'm gone. Like, but not to the intensity, thankfully, that it was, where every every day could be so painful. Like, so. For sure, that's been helped. So you, I say like the intensity is like um, gone down a little bit since then. Yes. Like to the point now. Yeah, like and and I had episodes like that too before I went on the SSRIs where I'd have you know some good weeks, mm -hmm. but then it would come back so full force sometimes, mm -hmm. and yeah. not always on an anniversary, like maybe on a on a day I find a book with his writing on it. Or yeah. You know, yeah. there's all all these reminders in his room and mm. we packed away some stuff and we've dealt with his room, but there's always reminders everywhere. Mm. Um so I had I had some peace full weeks or days, but it would always come back full force. So now it's um and I still I still have bad days, but I get longer periods of time and I'm having better energy. Like I, I I'm having my energy's improved since taking the medication. I was so depleted that I couldn't. And I think we were ultimately too, we had quite a trauma of a month. Your child is okay, then your child is deathly ill, and we had four weeks. Mm -hmm. And then you're in a funeral, and then you're uh, trying to grasp the fact that he looked fine. And if there's pictures of him a week or two before he died, and it, or a week or two before he was diagnosed and he was looking pretty healthy and then it was so fast and so tragic at the hospital and demanding and like we were dealing with a very ill person for a very brief amount of time but that was so stressful that I think that depleted us too like and then the grief of course mm -hmm. so 
there's a lot of factors there for sure. Yeah. It's so hard for your mind not to comprehend like how quickly it happens. Yes, and um, yeah, and just death too in general. I think the brain just doesn't. There's a defense mechanism in there, I think, mm -hmm. um, probably, that, and that kind of goes into the shock and everything, but you just can't wrap your head around it. It's impossible to, um, after it happens. Yes, yeah, yeah, and uh, I think uh, it's because you're, like, on the outside, you're looking okay, um, and you're getting groceries, and you're... But that's almost a mind game too. Like, I'm sure you've had days like that where I'm like, I'm just looking like I'm normal. But it's sort of a twisted reality because I'm like, I'm just dying inside. Mm -hmm. People must think I look normal today because I'm mm -hmm. getting groceries. Mm -hmm. And it sort of does something to your mind. You're like, wow, this is painful, but what do you do with it? Like, mm -hmm. where do you... I think it's also made me empathetic too to like what people go through because you don't fucking know like like you said you just look normal but like you just you know if anyone could see inside your mind they'd be like holy shit like yeah. like they are going through a lot and they go through a lot every day like how many people are just walking around with that and hey. people go through crazy shit you know yes for sure there's such a there's no end to the tragedies that people have to face, for sure. Um, well, thank you so much for doing this. I really appreciate it. It's, uh, it's always good to talk. Um, yeah, and talking to you, um, talking to you guys the last few years has helped me so much. Well, you're quite welcome, and we definitely felt for you, too, because we had a sense of what it must be like for you. We we definitely thought about you a lot over those years too and and I'm very proud of you for doing this. I think it's great. It's great to start these discussions and not um, not keep it in the dark. Like that it's it's a real 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 mental health and all different kinds of losses are real real thing and we gotta keep the conversation going. So you're quite welcome and I'm glad to hear you're doing Better too. Okay. Thank you.